Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. But if you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2 this morning, and we'll be reading a very familiar passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 2. Starting in verse number 8. So when you have found Luke 2, verse number 8, if you'd be so kind as to stand with me in the reading, the honor of the reading of God's Word this morning in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse number 8. And it reads like this. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Father, this morning we are so thankful for how you have gifted and talented each of us and how that was displayed for your glory this morning in the singing of the children. Thank you, Father, for those voices that sung your truth about the manger. And now, Father, as we open your word and we read that story that goes along with that song, may you open our hearts, our spiritual hearts and minds, that we may hear your still, small voice this morning. Let us this morning, Father, glorify you in all that we do. Let this word change our image to be more like your son, Jesus Christ, and let us lead lead us to worship you, Father, in spirit and in truth. Do this by making little of me and much of you that you may be seen in all of your glory. This we pray in the name of your precious Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, it's a wonderful time of the year, isn't it? Isn't there a movie called that? It's a wonderful time. Yeah. It's a wonderful life. It's a wonderful life. Yeah, a wonderful life. I know it's one of those old movies that you have to watch every year. And uh, How many of you like to watch that movie? Anybody? Oh, look, we got two or three. Uh, good, I'll raise my hands, and some others did. Yeah, I'd love to watch those old movies. You know, it's, this time of the year is just a special time because we think about it as a time of, of celebration with another, as, as gathering with family and friends. It's, it's a time that we, we both give to others and we receive from others. And, and it's a time that we just enjoy what is often said to be the spirit of Christmas, the spirit of Christmas. And the spirit of Christmas is depicted in all those Christmas cards we, we get. Don't you love to look at those Christmas cards whenever you get them? You, you see those scenes, those scenes like a manger that has uh, Mary and Joseph sitting next to the manger with the cattle gathered around and, and how precious that is when you see those pictures. You see the pictures of a lot of times just a silhouette of the wise men as they're crossing over uh, the Mojave Desert or something, I guess, and they're, they're headed that direction. You see the silhouette on those cards. You, you see the, the cards that come that had the, the, uh, the symbolism of, of an angel proclaiming the joy of the birth of Jesus Christ at this season. And, and, you, and you get those cards. I love those cards you get that, that have those winter scenes on them. You know, it's, it's like all the snow and 
and, and all that, because I, I don't know about you, but whenever I see that snow, I just think of the quietness and the peace that, that comes with it. You, you ever been somewhere that, that when it snows, it's like there's just, just not a sound. It's, it's just deafening quiet. And all those give us a, a peaceful picture, I guess, of, of the Christmas season. And you know, the story that we read today, the story that we read from, from Luke, it, it gives us a sense of that same peace as, as we read this story. Uh, just, just put yourself in the scene. Just put yourself in the scene as these, as these shepherds go to this, this manger. And I think about it in my head, what, what are those things that they would have experienced with their senses? What are those things they would have seen? What are those things they would have smelled? What are those things they would have heard? As they, as they went to that scene, Would, wouldn't it have been peaceful probably? Have you ever been in the presence of a, a new mother and a baby and it just something about that new life just gives you a certain hope and a joy and a peace when, when you see that new life? Couldn't you just hear Jesus making those baby sounds? I don't even know what you call those things. The cooing, I guess. The, the baby sounds of a, of a newborn baby. Couldn't, couldn't you just hear Mary and Joseph talking quietly with each other as maybe not to wake this baby Jesus? Just, just the hush speaking. Maybe you could hear the cattle as, as they're eating, as they're wandering around this courtyard area. You, you know, these sounds, all these sounds. And I don't know about you, but when I think about that scene, it just gives me a certain sense of peace thinking about this this manger scene as they, as they gathered there. And, and the, the birth of Jesus certainly brought peace to earth. The Bible tells us that. It brings this, this peace. And do you realize it's a peace that has never been present since creation? See, that's the most amazing thing about it. When you think about this peace, this peace has not been here since creation. You see, because when God created all the earth, it says He created and He looked at those things that He created. And what did He say? They're good. These things are good. And think about the peace that came with that creation. My goodness. There, there was peace between God and man. You heard me talk to the children about it this morning. God fellowship with them in the garden. There was peace between man and man, man and woman. Wow, couldn't we use that today? You know, there was also peace between man and creation. You know, they weren't worried about those animals as they came by. And he named each one of them. He wasn't worried about a lion or a tiger tearing his head off or a bear attacking him. There was a certain peace at creation. Yet, what happened to that peace? Where did it go? I mean, God created all of this, all of us, to be at peace with Him, to be at peace with each other. And to be at peace with all of his creation. Where did the peace go? Where is that peace in our world today? It, it doesn't take but just a couple of minutes either talking with someone, seeing the news, reading the newspaper to realize peace is not present. It's, it's just not in our midst. You know, the story of the shepherds, it gives us this picture of, of, of where that peace comes from. But more importantly, not just where it comes from, but how it should be lived out in our lives. See, just to know that peace is available, just to know where peace comes from, and to leave this place without it changing your life, doesn't show a side of knowing what real peace is. 
You see, these shepherds not only learned about what this peace is and where it came from, but they learned what difference it should make in their life. They learned what difference it should make in their life. You see, and it starts in this field. It starts in this field in the middle of nowhere. It starts in a field in the middle of nowhere, and it starts with this lowly group of shepherds. And the first thing that we notice as we look at that text is the fear at the announcement. The first thing I notice about peace is that there was a fear at the announcement. What an amazing turn of events. Look at 8 and 9 with me. Verse 8 and 9, it says, Now there was, or there were in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over the flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. You see, think about who these shepherds were. The, the shepherds at that time were the outcasts of society in all reality. They were, they were at the bottom of the totem pole when it came to, to the people groups. They, they had the lowliest of jobs. They spent most of their time out away from people with sheep. And, and they, they smelled like sheep. They, they knew everything there was to know about sheep. But when it came to people, there was very little interaction. Even today, when you go to Israel, you still see them leading these sheep out across these barren regions. And they spend days, if not weeks, if not months, out away from people with sheep. We know about shepherds because we read about shepherds in the Bible. And Jesus is related to us as a shepherd. And it talks about their caring nature. It talks about their ability to fight off those things that attack the sheepfold. It talks about their, their innate sense of where to take these sheep that they may get water, they may get fed. Uh, even though they're the lowliest in the eyes of the world, they are brilliant individuals in one sense. And, there, and there's these, these shepherds that are so far down on the totem pole, do you realize they can't even appear in court to testify? They, they don't even trust them to tell the truth. And, and that's this group that we see hanging out at, on this, this mountain, on this hillside, as, as darkness has fallen and these sheep are gathered around. They probably have them in the, in the pen that they've made out of rocks that they would circle around and they would make a semicircle leaving just one narrow opening in these rocks and they would, they would lead all of these sheep up inside of this, this homemade pen and one of the shepherds would lay across the doorway, across the opening, to where Jesus gets the statement, I am the door and the way. And he would lay across it to make sure none left, but also to make sure nothing entered. And we see that picture of them probably at this moment have gotten those sheep gathered in. They're settled down for the night. And there sits these lowly sheep. Let me ask you a question. If you were going to make an announcement, if you were going to announce something that you knew to be true beyond a shadow of a doubt, and that announcement would change the face of the world forever, is this the group you would have picked? Think about it. We know where Jesus is at this moment because he's in Bethlehem. Matter of fact, the scripture says there has been born. means he is born in Bethlehem. So, so then why not? Why not make the announcement to the king? Why not make the announcement to the king so the king can make a proclamation that all would understand? 
Why not? Why not make the announcement then to, to religious leaders? I mean, it was, after all, it was Christ the Lord. It was the Messiah they had been searching for. Why not make the announcement to the religious leaders? Or better yet, he's in Bethlehem. Why not send the angel to stand in the middle of the streets and announce, down on the corner in the stable is born Christ the Lord. Why not make the announcement in Bethlehem where he's born? Why? Why would you make the announcement to this lowly group? See, God had sent Jesus that he might be the Savior of all mankind. And isn't it fitting that he announced it first to the lowliest group of people? See, I find a certain peace in the fact that he didn't announce it to the king. He didn't announce it to the religious leaders. He didn't stand in the middle of the street and proclaim it. He took it to these lowly shepherds. See, that tells me God was letting us know Jesus didn't come to save the, just the elite, the kingly. He didn't come just to save the religious. He, he didn't come to save a certain privileged group. No, he came that all of humanity might have the opportunity to be saved. And see, that's why it says there's great joy which will be to all people. You see, he made the announcement of the Savior to the lowest that it might be clear that it's not about who you are. It's not about how religious you are. It's not about how wealthy you are. Everyone has the ability to be saved. If nothing brings you peace this morning, I hope that that announcement does. It's not about what you can do to earn the favor. It's not about how much you can give to earn the favor. It's not about how often you can sit in a church or read your Bible or pray or study. It's about God's grace. And he announced that grace to the lowliest on the totem pole the night that Jesus was born. See, he makes that announcement to the shepherds. But notice the fear that was present in that announcement. It says in verse 9 that this angel of the Lord stood before them. (laughs) Can you imagine? Can you imagine being one of those shepherds? You're on the hillside where you spent many a night, many an hour, gathered around this pen you've probably used multiple times on the particular journey across. And it was a stop-off point for you. And so many times you had stopped there with the sheep. You have herded them inside. You've bedded down as shepherds. One has been chosen to keep watch and laid across the opening. And, and could you imagine you've laid there many a night looking at the stars in heaven because it's just pitch black dark. And the stars look like LED lights shining out of the heavens that are, that are so bright. And, and can you imagine just being there in that pitch black darkness? And suddenly, standing before you, is an angel. Most times when those angels appeared, they appeared as a man. They appeared as a human being. Can you imagine me laying in the field in a place that you knew there was nobody else and you're sitting there talking with your cohorts, the fellow shepherds, and and you're discussing the journey for tomorrow and suddenly one looks up and goes, what is that? They're standing in your midst as a person, a, a thing, an object. What is it? The Bible tells us it was this angel who just appeared out of nowhere. And I I would like to think there would be a certain amount of of fear at that happening. 
a certain amount of fear. But as if that isn't enough, it also tells us in verse 9, it says that, that this angel stood before them, but then it says the glory of the Lord shone around them. Whoa. As if the angel wasn't enough. Now we bring God's glory into it. If you still have your Bibles open, and I hope you do, and you can find Isaiah. Flip back to Isaiah with me, to Isaiah chapter 60. I happen to love this passage. I was looking at it this week as I was studying some stuff for our Wednesday night Bible study. What, what is this glory of the Lord? What, what is this glory of the Lord? I love the 19th verse of Isaiah 60. The 19th verse of Isaiah 60 when it says this. The sun shall no longer be your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give light to you. But the Lord will be to you an everlasting light, and your God, your glory. You know what Isaiah is writing about? Heaven. He's painted a picture of our future. He's painted a picture of what you read about in the book of Revelation. You know what he's telling us? There'll be no sunrise. When you get to heaven, there'll be no sunrise. You'll no longer get up at the crack of dawn because there won't be one. You'll no longer go to bed with sunset because there won't be one. You'll no longer need a flashlight to find the outhouse. You'll no longer need electricity to make sure you can see inside of your house. Why? Because the essence of God is an everlasting light. His glory. It says light. When, when his glory is mentioned in the Bible, it mentions this, this light, this amazing light. See, there'll be no sun for light. There'll be no moon at night. The, the, the Lord, he'll be our everlasting light. The, the glory will be as our light before us at all times with the glory of God. The, the glory of God is, is contained whenever you, you think about the glory of God. The glory of God is contained in all of his attributes as, as described to us. It's pictured in the Bible as this, this awesome glowing light. And it's this glory of God that's often described in places in the Bible in such a way that it paints pictures for you. Think about this man named Moses. This man named Moses makes a trek to a top of a mountain where God gives him our commandments. When he exits that mountain and comes down, what must he do to face the people? He must cover his face. Because it says the glory of the Lord shone brightly. It's almost as if the glory of the Lord had sunburnt his face to the point it glowed. I think about where we've been studying in Acts. The glory of God shows up in such powerful ways it leads a person like Stephen who's down on his knees as they're about to cast stones upon him. And he does what Jesus Christ did from the cross. He says, Father, forgive them for this. And he praises the glory of God even in the presence of certain death. You see, the glory of God is an amazing thing. And these, these shepherds, as they, they stood out on this, this mountainside, see an angel before them, and suddenly the pure essence of God is present in their midst. Fear? I wish we had a bigger word, because I don't think fear covers it. Could you imagine at this moment, if God chose to shine His glory down on in our midst, where the only thing you could do is respond by putting your face on the floor because you couldn't look at His glory. What an awesome, awesome thought. It's such an awesome thought to think about His glory that it says one day, one day every tongue will confess and every tongue is going to bow their knee to the glory of God when they say that this Jesus is Lord.
See, that's what this glory that, that was in their presence was. This glory showed up in the field that night as a, a light that, that shone around the shepherds when they were there in the presence of God's messenger, this angel. And Luke 2, 9 says, they were greatly afraid. Greatly afraid. But notice what God does with this fear in verse 10. It says this angel that stood before them, that the, the glory of God was shining around. It says, then the angel said to them, do not be afraid. How many times in Scripture do we see God appearing, there being fear in the hearts of those before him, and him saying, do not be afraid. I can only think about the man huddled in an upper room after his death. And he walks through a wall. Fear? Fear must have been in their hearts. You could only imagine him saying, don't be afraid, it's me. You know, sometimes when we walk into the presence of God, fear is what reigns in our hearts. When we truly feel his glory in our life, fear reigns. But if there's one thing God says through his son in that cradle, is don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, for I am here. You see, he the angels told them there was nothing to be fearful for, that God had sent them to deliver this message to them. And this message was of good tidings and great joy to all people. See, in the midst of the fear in their life, in the midst of what seemed like a hopeless, peaceless moment, God said, let there be good tidings and great joy. Why? Because the Savior is born right down the road in Bethlehem. Peace has come. It was a message that should have dispelled not only their fear, but, but fear for all people, it says. It should have taken away the fear of all people. You see, it was a message so wonderful that everyone who heard it and believed that message should have peace. And what is that message? That's the second thing we notice. First, we notice fear at the announcement. Second, we notice the peace of the announcement. Look at verse 11. For there was born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The focus of the angel's visits to the shepherd was to announce the arrival of a Savior. It wasn't to scare them. It wasn't, it wasn't to make them anything special. It wasn't to bring them glory because God had decided to appear to them. No, their sole purpose in coming down to those shepherds in that field was to say one thing to them and to us. A Savior has been born. And see, they've been looking for a Savior. They've been looking for a Savior because they have been suppressed and repressed and depressed and all the other presses by the government. They'd been overrun. They'd been taken control of. The religious leadership was, was suppressing. The, the Roman government was suppressing. All these things were happening. They wanted a Savior. They wanted somebody to get them out from under all that. But this Savior that was born was not just an ordinary Savior. To make sure they understood, whenever it says in the city of David, they would have understood that to be Bethlehem. It says a Savior is born 
They wanted to make sure they understood it wasn't a person that had come in to overthrow the government. It wasn't someone that had come in to make conditions better. It wasn't someone that had come in to give them free health insurance and no taxes and great big paychecks whether they worked or not. That wasn't the Savior they were getting. They wanted to make sure they knew who the Savior was. And what they said in that 11th verse was, David in the city of David, a Savior. Who is he? Christ the Lord. It's interesting. That word there that we translate Christ is the word Christos. Christos. It means anointed one or Messiah. What was it the Jewish people had been looking for? A Messiah. So they start off where they're at and they say, you know the Messiah you've been looking for? He's born in the city of David. See, they had been looking for this one that was from God. This, this Messiah of God. The angels made it clear that there was no need to fear because this anointed Messiah, he was here. This anointed Messiah that you'd waited for, he's shown up and the Jews understood what that anointed Messiah was, who that anointed Messiah was that would come. They, they understood it would, would come from God. They understood that it, would, it would be God's person. And let's face it, they had been living what, in what was called the Pax Romana, which, which Rome was famous for when when Rome overrun all the other governments and took over and they spread out throughout all the world at that time, they had this Pax Romana. It's called the Peace of Rome. That was, that was the, the, the foregoing line of the government as they announced what they were going to do for the people. They were going to bring peace from Rome, the Pax Romana. They'd been, they'd been living under this peace and they discovered, they discovered one thing about this Pax Romana. That no matter how hard man tries, there is no peace in a man-made system. No matter how much we argue about who runs our government or what they're doing, no matter how much we fight for whether you can have guns or not have guns, no matter how much we argue and pass laws to make equality throughout uh, all races, all uh, genders, all peoples, no matter how much we make agreements with other countries, no matter what we do military-wise, there's one thing we must understand. Rome proved it. The Bible tells us it's true. There's no man-made system that brings peace. It's not going to happen. Does that mean we don't participate? Absolutely not, because the Bible says we are to participate. We are to participate in it. We're to elect the ones that we think are the best for the job that God leads us to. We're to, we're to look out for others. We're to do all those things. But our hope had better not be in what man does. Because if it is, we're hopeless. You see, they understood that there is no peace in a man-made system. But look at that second title. He gave him this Christ, which is knowing the Messiah. But he also says the Lord. The Lord. That word that's translated the Lord there is curios. Curios. What an interesting word. It's a word that means supreme authority. Whoa. You see what they did when they announced to these shepherds? They said the Messiah you weigh is coming, and he's coming with supreme authority. Supreme authority. The angels were making sure that these shepherds knew that this Savior that was born was not only the anointed one of God, but that he was God. See, we must never forget that baby that put on flesh and laid in a manger was, yes, human, but he was also God. He was just as much God as he was man. And see, he laid in that manger and came that they might have peace, goodwill, 
as the scripture says. And to make sure that they knew who the Savior was that had been born in Bethlehem, the city of David, there was this sign given to them. They said, he's born. He's born in the city of David. And they could have just sent him off and said, go find him. But instead of sending him on a wild goose chase, they said, let us make it easy for you. There's this, this Christ. There's this Lord. There's this Messiah that's born. He's in the city of David. And guess what? Verse 12 says, and this will be a sign to you. Says you're going to find this babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Huh. You're going to find him in torn strips of cloth. You're going to find him laying in a feed trough. So the Messiah? The anointed one? The supreme authority? Torn rags and a feeding trough? Could you imagine what ran through their head? Here the angel of God says, God has come to earth to be born. You'll find him in rags, in a pen, in a trough. What a strange way for the anointed supreme authority to enter this world. It's strange enough that it would be announced to the lowest of the low, but now he's born in the lowliest of manners. See, no wonder they had to give these poor shepherds a sign. Because I'm sure, I'm sure if they'd gone looking for the Messiah, I, I would dare say the last place they would have looked would have been for a baby wrapped in torn rags laying inside of a feed trough. I would imagine they may have first gone to the palace or, or to the religious community or or. Or to one of the Pharisees' eyes, they, they would have gone somewhere of importance. Yet the angel said, don't look in those places. Go to the stable. Go to the stable. But isn't it fitting that the announcement came to the lowly and Jesus was born in the lowliest of ways? You see, it's assurance. It's assurance in my heart that he's willing. He's willing to do whatever it takes. To reach the lowliest of us all. You think about it. I've often asked him. Why would you want to save me? Why? Why me? This answers the question. Because it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you have. It doesn't matter what you do religiously. What matters is that God loves you. He loves you so much that he put his own son in torn rags and a feed trough when he came to this earth. And it was assured that they would, there would be no way, there would be no way that anybody could get the glory for what God would do through this baby except for God. You think about it. Of all the people he could have picked, why this baby? Of all the ways he could have chosen, why a manger? There was only one person that was going to get glory for what this baby would do. That was God. That was God. We see that in verse 13 and 14 when it says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. Why the announcement to the shepherds? Why the placement in the manger? So that God would receive all of the glory. And you know that's 
his desires as this heavenly host of angels broke out in, in song at the announcement of a Savior being born. All of heaven broke out in praise. It, it says the heavenly host praised God. You see, and think about it from the heavenly host point of view. They, they understood what God had done. They were with God. They, and even though they, they didn't need a Savior, they, they weren't sinners. They weren't a see, seeking a Savior. They weren't in need of one. There was one thing the angels knew. We needed one. And the the recognition of God's redemptive plan through Jesus Christ caused them to break out in praise. And what is it they praised Him for? Because He is glorious. See, that glory had shown up there with those angels. They understood that Jesus was the second person of the Trinity. They knew Him to be God. They knew that God had created a man to have an eternal relationship with Him, that God had chosen when He he made creation for man to walk with Him, to have a relationship with Him. And, And they knew that man had sinned. And that relationship had been broken. They understood that this baby, this baby in a manger was God's plan, was God's plan of redemption for all of mankind, that, that the relationship between God and man would again be peaceful through this Jesus. That's why it says in Luke 15.10 that there's joy in the presence of angels of God when one sinner repents. Because they know. They know that we need a Savior. They know that God made a plan and that that plan was to send His only begotten Son to die on the cross for your sins. Even though the ultimate end of the gospel is, is peace with God, even though that ultimate end is peace with God, we have to also understand in this redemptive plan that it says here in verse 14, and on earth peace. It may not be talking about the same peace that we understand it to mean. You see, it's... It's not to be misunderstood as the whole earth having peace because Jesus came. Let's face it, if that was the case, he failed. Because peace is not here. So if all the earth, if it says, and on earth peace, then, then what does it mean? I think, I think you can relate it back to what Jesus said in Matthew 10.34. Matthew 10.34, when he says, Do not think that I come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. You see, there's a difference between there being this this peace between people and there being peace present on earth and and God. Even though the ultimate end of the gospel is peace with God, the immediate result is conflict. That's why it says that the gospel to some is a stumbling stone. That's why there is such hatred towards the gospel. In in the new heaven and the new earth, all will be at peace with each other because all will be at peace with God. So the ultimate end to this to this salvation that comes through this baby, the ultimate new heavens and the new earth will be at peace. But today, today the only one that have that peace in them are the ones who have come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Hence the announcement. The announcement of a Lord and Savior. With the acceptance of it as Lord and Savior, then peace comes to you. That's why Paul says to believers in Romans 14, 9, he says, Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. You see, as believers, we should seek to be at peace with one another, thus showing the world who our God is. 
See, and we are to do all that we can to be at peace with those who do not believe in the gospel also. You know, it's tough. It's tough when we have those that persecute us, that do evil towards us. Yet in Romans 12, Paul says, when they do evil against you, do not repay them with evil. He says, when they persecute you, you bless them. He says, we are to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. We're to weep with those who are weeping. And then he makes a statement in Romans 12, 19, when he says, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. You know, sometimes when people don't believe like us, even as Christians, we're not at peace with them. We feel there should always be this contention, this argument over things. Yet Paul says, if at all possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Why, well, see, look at the second thing that it says in that Luke passage in the 14th verse when it says, goodwill toward men. If you actually look back at the original translations and even by what it originally said, it, it read a little differently, and it's probably a better understanding. You'll find it in some of the newer translations. A, a better understanding of what it says there is not that there's peace on earth and, and there's going to be good will toward all men, by all men, is the way we read it. But what it really, the essence of what it says there is there's peace on earth among men in whom he is well pleased. Speaking of God. God's peace is not a reward for having goodwill towards men, which is the way we tend to read that English translation. God's peace comes to those who have accepted the gift of grace from God and are the objects of His goodwill. You see, Paul admonishes us to live peaceably among all men, that God may be glorified in our midst. The very last thing, very quickly. Not only did we notice there was fear at the announcement, not only did we know there was peace of the announcement, but we noticed there was a response to the announcement. There was a response. Go home and read Luke 2, 15 through 20. It's a passage you know very well. It tells the story of them leaving uh, where they are on the hillside, heading down towards uh, Bethlehem to see the baby in the manger. It says the shepherds went to see Jesus. Their first response at, at what the angels had said was to go. See, all fear had left them. The, the thing that had to, all the things that had to do with the sheep, all the responsibilities of the sheep were, were secondary now. The distance to travel there no longer mattered. The, the rebuke they would probably receive from those when they showed up in town, they, they weren't worried about that. The acceptance they would even get from Mary and Joseph just popping in as, as the lowly of the low on them at the cradle. They, they could care less how they were received. See, how many of us need to have that same response to the Savior today. The same response that they had. You see, when the announcement became the Savior's there, they went. They didn't question. They didn't plan. Have you, have you heard the Christmas story a hundred times and still have no peace in your life today? You see, maybe today you need to go to the Savior. Stop going with your your 
own understanding, leaning upon your own understanding, but go to the Savior. It says they didn't just go, they went hastily. They didn't wait for a better time. They didn't say we have to get our things in order so that we're a better person when we go. We don't wash up and change clothes. No, they, they didn't sit down and they figure out a game plan. You watch the sheep, we'll go, we'll send one back, you come. They didn't do any of that. They just went quickly. Maybe today you realize you've been waiting for the perfect moment. The perfect moment to go to Jesus. Maybe today you're just saying, maybe I just need to get one more thing straight. Maybe I just need to get rid of this. Maybe I just need to do better here. Maybe No. You, you just need to go quick. And may I remind you that you will never have a more perfect moment to go to Jesus than the moment you're sitting in. When Jesus calls, you go. God doesn't need you to change anything to come to Him. He does all the changing. See, God doesn't need you to work out a plan. God has the plan. All God wants you to do is respond to the plan. It also tells us in those verses that they told their story. So they went, they went quickly, and they told their story. Who did they tell their story to? It tells us they told it to Mary and Joseph. And it says, to all who were gathered there. And it says, all who heard it marveled. In verse 18, all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Everyone who had heard, everyone who had heard marveled. And it says that Mary kept these things in her heart and pondered them. See, if God's done a marvelous work in your life of bringing peace between you and Him, if God's saved you through His Son, Jesus Christ, and restored that relationship from a broken relationship to a peaceful relationship with God because of Jesus Christ, He wants to be the one to receive the glory. He doesn't want you to be the one by saying, I cleaned up enough for God to accept me. He doesn't want you to be the one saying, I made this plan and I stuck to it, therefore God accepted me. He wants to be the one to receive the glory. And you see, there is no glory for God when there is no story from you. Where there is no story, there is no glory. See, to keep your story to yourself is to rob God of the glory He gets for what He did in your life and mine. Your story needs to be told, not only to those within the church, but it needs to be told to your neighbor, to your friend, to your family, to everyone that you meet. That's why verse 20 says, The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told to them. A person that is at peace with God because of the redemptive work of Christ cannot keep his mouth shut. He must go and tell the story of God's love, and God's love has a name, and it's that baby in the manger. It's Jesus Christ, our Lord. There's coming a day that there'll be another advent. The first advent was his birth. The second advent, he'll return in judgment. That day will come where he will judge all of those who do not believe. This morning, do you have fear in that second advent? If so, you can have peace.
through Jesus Christ. Know you can have peace through His death, His burial, and His resurrection. Know that God loved you so much, the Bible says, that He sent His only begotten Son. That if you would only believe in Him and what He did for you, that you will be saved. Understand that He says that you should believe that in your heart and confess that with your mouth. There are too many secret Christians today. There are too many people today that want to say you've been saved and you don't even want to tell the church, much less anyone else. Hey, that's fine and dandy. But let me ask you a question. Where's the glory of God in that? God didn't do it for you. He did it for him. That's why he sent his son. So today, if you believe in your heart and you've never confessed with your mouth, today's the day. There is no better moment. Maybe today you've never believed in your heart and today you see Jesus for who he really is. The Messiah, the anointed one, the one that God sent, both Christ and Lord. Maybe today for the very first time you see the baby as your Savior. There's no better day to today to come and say, I received that gift of your son Jesus Christ. Maybe you know with all of your heart that you've received that gift, but you have not gone. You have not gone and told that story. Remember, to not tell your story robs God of His glory. Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.